One, two, hello, hello, hello. Oh, yeah, we're rolling. <laughs> What's the sound of that clinking, Shane? Well, it's Big Machine Vodka. <laughs> Why is that relevant for this uh, today's podcast? I wish I knew. All I, <laughs> all I know is that you guys know why it's relevant. Is this Scott Bruschetta's? He owns a vodka company. Mm-hmm. Wow. He let's does. see if it's uh Okay, sorry. Let's open the episode properly. Or that was actually kind of cool. Want to just kick into the, the track? Music. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike German. I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We're also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Guys, it's a bit of energy because we're not recording this at 299 right now. We're recording this at Manager Ash's office around the corner. At E1. Yep. And uh, she mentioned some some big machine vodka that was, I guess, gifted to you, Max. Yeah, they sent me a, sent me a bottle. This was real. And also, while you were out getting us uh, some Perrier's, mm-hmm. Shane literally just cracked the vodka. <laughs> well, Ash said I could. <laughs> I think she was half kidding, but I was actually cracking it open. Yeah, it is three in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Well, we're celebrating. What are we celebrating? And I got to loosen up. I'm nervous around you now, Max. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're famous. <laughs> uh, so first of all, the big machine vodka is relevant because today's guest guest is Scott Borchetta, who, Max, you have a relationship with now because you're both on The Launch, which is on CTV. That's right. Wednesdays. My episode aired last week. Well, I think Scott must have had a good time because he sent you some vodka. He did, yeah. Oh. Very gracious host. Uh, which you heard Shane open off the top. And I, what's the deal? We're, gonna, we're all going to We're going to cheers uh, Max's big uh, Canada-wide takeover. Oh, That's right. You. To the success cheers. of cheers, Arkells. Guys. Hey. Oh, this is good. <laughs> this is nice. <laughs> I have gotten some... Uh, st- How is it, guys? <laughs> <laughs> that, that shot glass is like shot. God. That, that's like an American size shot. That's though. not a shot. That's like a Nashville size shot. That was oh, like two shit. shots in one. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Mr. Borchetta, for the uh, big machine vodka. The big machine is his uh, record label, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's how you start. Uh, so first of all, for our listeners, we have not done a podcast in quite some time. And I just want to address off the top. I said this to myself. I was going to do this. I didn't even told you guys uh, or talk to you guys about this. We're getting very infrequent with our podcast. Mm. I was thinking that. They're few and far between, and I feel bad. This has been a crazy time, but I know we said that a couple months ago with the show and all that stuff. But, Max, you've been on tour across Canada playing arenas. Uh, you just played, you did Scotiabank Arena recently, which Shane and I are both at, which was amazing. We'll talk about that in a bit. Obviously, Shane and I have some small children. It's been and our, our jobs have gotten very busy lately. It's been hard to be consistent. I just and, have one kid, for the record. That you know. Collectively, we yeah. have two oh, between us. Right. Yeah, uh, You know, and we talk to our other podcast friends, like Matt Unsworth from Heist or whatever, and they always like, consistency, guys. Like, we love your podcast, but just make sure they're out every Friday on the dot. And we're always like, yeah, 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 you're totally right, man. And then we never hit our targets. I know. Well, Max is too big. That's it's, not, it's hard to no, nail it down. No. Yes, you are. In person? Stop it. <laughs> I need to see your face. <laughs> I'm drunk. Excuse me. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> Why are you holding my collar right now? <laughs> Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that to, to our loyal listeners who have been with us for, for 120 plus episodes. Thanks for sticking with us. And sorry about the infrequency. We would like to get more consistent. We need, I think we're going to get back in the groove soon. I agree. Yeah. I just feel like it was a particularly hectic time. I thought we were doing this as kind of like a strategic plan to get people to watch Crave. 
There you like, go. Like, oh, no audio pods? Go to Crave. <laughs> we, yeah. So we starve them. We starve them exactly. out of their daily. I, th- I honestly thought we were kind of oh. doing that. <laughs> that. I like that strategy. you thought there was strategy. Mike and Max are really onto something here. <laughs> they're strategically not releasing pods, so they have to subscribe to, to Crave. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, I'm glad you brought that up, Shane. That's actually a pretty natural segue. Uh, we should always do a shot before we do a show. I'm, very, I'm feeling very tired. I know. Mm. You know, the problem is, I feel like I've been boozing a little bit more lately, and this is like my one day not to booze. Do so. you booze after every show? Well, I've been kind of boozing during the show in a fun way where it loosens me up um, and it gets me my brain kind of working in a different slightly different way like when you're a little bit drunk and uh, <laughs> like you know I, I did that bit the other day at the show where I was doing a bench press with the microphone stand yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and I was like I don't think I would have come up, come up with that if I was completely sober you know mm-hmm. it was a stroke of genius <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so then uh, and then and then after the show there's usually like there's a lot of people hanging around and you're you want to keep social the only person who doesn't seem to be partaking is Nick of course and Nick of course looks the best out of everybody too yeah yeah yeah. You mentioned this on the last pod that his yeah. his his, his ability to abstain is got you perplexed. So, so annoying, really. But no. yeah, well, I, what I was going to say is that uh, please subscribe to our Crave Show. Check it out. Eight episodes, all sorts of people. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably heard it. But if you're not, and you're a huge Launch fan or a Scott Brochetta fan, maybe it's your first time hearing this. We have a show on Crave with all sorts of uh, major celebrities like Noel Gallagher, uh, Sting, uh, Leon Bridges. Shane does hilarious digital desserts with people like uh, Jason Mraz. Yeah, Jason Mraz, Chris Red from Saturday Night Live, all sorts. Check it out. Check it out. And there's also a free episode on YouTube. That you oh, have to and that's to picking up. I'm is not it? sure if you noticed. Over 4,000 views right now. Sick. It's so getting over 500 a day. If you're that's, listening that's in, the, uh, in the UK, get a taste. Yeah. Or in the States. That's all we could give you for now, but maybe there's plans to maybe release. What, what would you search? Mike on much? Letter Kenny or J- Jared Kisa? Jared Kisa. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Search that. So you played a show, Scotiabank, hometown show, Toronto. Yeah. Someone I know, just to bring it back to Nick for a second. Yeah. Was at the show. Uh-huh. They're married. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't say who it is, or, or if it's man or woman. But they were <laughs> zooming in on Nick, uh-huh. being like, "Look at this sexy boy. This is my boy. I like this boy. He's a cute boy." And then I was like, "They're gonna delete that in the morning." And then <laughs> so I do is? what I always do. I screenshot it, <laughs> and then I'm like, in the morning, I see if it's still there. And then I'm like, "I told you." But yes, yeah, sure enough, crack of dawn, they were all removed. Gone. Nick actually had to, you know. Uh, abandoned uh, a party the other night because he was being hit on too hard. He, Harassed. He, he, had to, he just had to leave. Man, that's wow. rough. Yeah. Yeah, well, I will say, <laughs> he's got a tough man. I don't know how he does it or makes it through. Uh, you know, uh, you, there wasn't like a little after party after your show. It was kind of nice. so, so, so Max was nice enough to, uh, you know, you offered us some tickets yeah. so we didn't have to, to buy tickets, which is really nice. All you have to do to get some free tickets for our Kel show is over 100 podcasts with somebody. Um, and so... I got a, a message from Andrew Ash. He's like, we got you. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Show up. They're at Will Call. I'm like, this is cool. So mm-hmm. I show up at Will Call. They have tickets. But there's this little like um, backstage pass that says after party on it. That's like a, a laminate that you have to mm-hmm. like, a sticker you have to put on your coat or whatever so that you can get in. And then so in the Platinum Club after the show, are we allowed to talk about Of course. This? Yeah, okay. yeah, let's get there's, like, uh, there's like a party, I guess, for friends and family. Yeah. But it was awesome. It was, it was like, it was super fun. And it was the first time Danik and I had ever had a babysitter. So oh, wow. we got to sitter for the uh, for the Arkell show. Were you nervous leaving the kid at home? 
Me? Yeah. I was just ready to party. Uh, Danica <laughs> had some more reason. No, we were both like, I think, had the, the healthy amount of like, is it weird to leave her? Well, she's just sleeping. And like, also, we can look, we have the app so that we can watch the uh, monitor. Oh, and you're also like two blocks away from home. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like you're going too far. Not at all. So we were in like, we were in good spirits. And our, our sitter was great. Shout out to Shay. Uh, did you hear about uh, Julian? Speaking of manager Ash at the after party, Julian uh, stole a table from like a big wig at Universal Music. For our listeners, Julian, we talk about That's a lot on this pod. <laughs> Champagne Boy takes a shirt off all the time you actually you give him a lyric on this latest record yeah he's got he's on two records now yeah, yeah. but uh basically uh <laughs> this is so funny julian uh steals a table that belonged to somebody else at the after party like a big wig at universe yeah and then uh then so this person her name was heather was very annoyed at, at julian and then uh and then he goes to ash ash is standing there and he's kind of harassing ash and so this woman heather's like is this guy bothering you like do we need to kick him out and ash is like no i love this guy this is, <laughs> this is my favorite guy and then uh and then julian goes why be such a Bitch, Ash. Oh my You're basically God. a capital B bitch. Ash <laughs> is just laughing. And then he's like, uh, You're being so needy. I got this bitch into Coachella. <laughs> and like Heather was like so perplexed. She's like, well, What is going on right now? Ashley's never been happier. She's like hugging Julian as he berates Anything her. Anything he does is lovable. So oh, it's, it's so a, weird. Yeah. How does he get away like, with uh, it? I do the exact same <laughs> stuff as him. I get kicked out. They didn't want to let me into your after party. Yeah. And I had the pass why didn't they want to let you in because you know how you you gave like a little fortune cookie-esque note that was like exclusive friends and family only which was total bullshit by the way because everybody was there like there's like a 300 people there at that party but the security guy's like excuse me where are you going i go oh into the show i'm like i'm good friends with max they're like haha yeah prove it and i'm like oh i have this little fortune cookie note see friends he's like if you had he goes if you were into the VIP party, you'd be wearing the pass. I go, no one's wearing the pass. I go, not one person's wearing the pass. He goes, it's a sticky. You stick it on yourself. I go, no one's doing that. I didn't know it was a sticky. And he goes, well, you got to come up with it or you're out of here. And then I was like, fuck you. <laughs> and I was like, I'm good friends with Max. <laughs> he pulls out the crepe yeah. show, starts showing it on his phone. Well, I was like, "Where's my wife?" And then, because Alex had them in her purse, and then I shoved it in his face, but he still wanted to kick me out. <laughs> well, you're acting like, well, that. when yeah. you yell, "Fuck!" He you. was acting mean to me. I'm totally nice if you're nice to me. <laughs> the, the vodka's really hitting you right now. Yeah, no, he's leaning back. And for our listeners, we, we were doing this in Manager Ashley's office, and Shade is sitting in her chair, so Max and I are on the other side, like we're like interviewing for a job. And the more this has gone on, Shane's now like leaning back, like feet up on the fucking desk yeah, uh, fired. <laughs> any other uh, yeah well, any other observations from the show because on our you got, end, oh Kyle Dubas far, former podcast called in you have you have a bit where you use a pay phone yeah, yeah. Uh, which makes sense you during- were really acting that out though like that call was <laughs> yeah. like I was laughing because you're like Kyle Dubas is calling you're like whoa and you're like, it was like blowing your mind <laughs> It's a pre-recorded. Yeah. Um, it's a bit. Yeah, yeah. Bit. Um, but the crowd loved it when it was. Oh, hey, yeah. this is Kyle Dubas from. Would you say I'm Toronto Maple Leafs? Yeah, or it's, it's Kyle Dubas. Um, and then, uh, not to give too much away, but on the message that he recorded, it, it was like, uh, "Is Kyle Dubas? I uh, hope you're having a great time at the show tonight." But. He didn't leave enough space because I wanted people to react to it. So in the audio, we cut it and we left three seconds of just silence. So then the crowd can go, woo! And I can oh, go, nice. oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sold it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, do you like the other bits? The, the, the doctor's note bits? Well, I had seen people Instagramming these doctor's sure, notes. Sure, okay, bits so you knew about it. But you don't do the Dubas bit in every city. No, that was a special one. Uh, mo- every other show. 
Uh, it was real fans that called in and we'd play. And it was cool because, like, for instance, last night in Montreal, this guy Lorenzo called in and wanted our song Bloodlines, which we haven't played probably in five years. And Lorenzo also got, like, ten of his friends to call in to be like, yo, play Bloodlines for, for Lorenzo. And so we played the message last night. Lorenzo happened to be, like, right in the front row. He starts freaking out. He's, oh, like, this, awesome. like, kind of good-looking young kid. And we pulled him up on stage and he, like, sang the final chorus, like, on his own. He knew every word. He was, like, going crazy. So there was great little moments of magic. But for that one, we had... I'm not the son actually picked for Toronto like it was, it was a, a fan user submitted thing but then the previous night in Ottawa we played blueprint and it was killer and we wanted to do that bit wherever all the horns take a solo and so we're like oh fuck how do we play blueprint let's again? run it back so I texted Kyle this is giving away a lot but I texted Kyle like uh, 9 a.m. on the Saturday I'm like yo Kyle we have this bit can you just like send me a voice note right now and within five minutes you send it wow. right back that was cool well you're his favorite band yeah isn't Kyle like your guy Shane yeah well, well, I don't. Years ago, I went on a trip with his wife. Years ago, <laughs> she was nine at the time, so it's not what you're thinking. You were 28. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he likes younger women. Okay. Uh, she was like a neighbor, so you guys grew up. She together, was a neighbor, yeah. and yeah, I th- I think like maybe there was a period where we could have dated. Uh, nothing's wrong with saying that. Maybe, but we we never dated, and now he's with her. So yeah, you're welcome, Kyle. Then you guys are both almost at the same level of success, so it's not weird. It's to see close. Yeah, yeah, very. It was close. a real nail biter for a bit when he was with like the Prairie Dogs AHL team. <laughs> now he's he's kind of pulled ahead. <laughs> That's not an AHL team. Yeah. Oh man, it's a marathon though, not a not a sprint. <laughs> a lot of years left. Yeah, exactly. A lot of years left. Oh man, that's a lot of ground to make up though. He's like the GM of the Leafs at thirty three or whatever. Let's see what Crave uh, season two has to offer us. Uh, good stuff. Any other observations? How's the band been on tour? Everybody getting along? Everybody Everybody's in really good spirits. Uh, the shows have all been really fun. Um, I noticed Mike D, uh, your lead guitar player, is always wearing a suit now. It's very like Talking Heads. It's like he's this is a new thing. He's got, yeah, custom shop suits. Um, yeah, you know, with the horns, it, it adds uh, a whole new dynamic when you have more people on the road. Because when it's more scaled down, if it's just the band and a few crew members, there's a certain dynamic. But on this tour, we had the three to four piece horn section we had like five or six extra crews like just so many people involved so just the the dynamic was different between everybody and everybody was i think in a good mood you know that like um the beatles brought in billy preston yeah uh for the let it be sessions mostly because they want to kill each other but if they had billy in the room they had to kind of act they behave they behave yeah not that we want to kill each other but there is an element to like having some new blood which kind of makes it fun yeah you have to act like your friends even if you're not yeah the beatles compared it to uh like if you're a family and you're fighting but you have someone over for dinner everybody will basically be polite for the benefit of the guests yeah but and and, like we're nowhere near the state of the beatles making Mm -hmm. let it be like like we all generally like hanging out with each other but it was just nice like Tom our trumpet player is hilarious and there's like they I like him he's got the beard he's got the he beard. wears the shade sometimes yeah. yeah I hung out with him at the Junos because I, I got stuck at like the uh, what do you call that at a wedding like it's like the the, the, the dateless table oh okay it's yeah. like when all these singles or whatever so at the the Junos nut got me into like the awards ceremony the night mm-hmm. before where you, you and Myers were nominated and of course uh, Eric Ellis and so because this table was like kind of like they had a couple extra seats basically stragglers are like yeah if you want to go you can sit there I ended up sitting next to Tom for the whole award show Tom is great because he basically is mocking me during the whole set <laughs> but he's making everybody else laugh so he's sort of like next to Tim he's like shouting things at Mike and Nick across 
house, like in my heart's always yours, he'd get the megaphone out and go, my heart, my heart. <laughs> and then Mike loved that so much that Mike started doing it. Mike grabbed the megaphone. He's like, world of possibilities. But it was great. And like we, um, and the show kind of evolved over like the, the three weeks we were on, on the road. Um, and people just became... The, that much more loose with the set, but it, but the more you do, it gets tighter too. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that, that perfect mixture. Um, and I would I started after the third show, I started telling the horns. I'm like, guys, just I want you to surprise me at a few points in the show. Like I want to like turn around and go, what the hell are they doing over there? Mm-hmm. And so they weren't kind of contained to like their back section. So they they'd start fucking with me, and it was always like it loosened everybody in the band up and it just kind of like created a whole new vibe for the show itself. So there's like lots of little things like that that I, I really enjoyed. But any, any other uh, observations from the, the crowd? Well, I wanted to know, um, you know how there's people showing up with the streamers? Oh, yeah. How do you... Like the jacket, so Max, you have that like iconic jacket with the streamers coming off the arms? Yeah, the rainbow, uh, the tassels. tassels. Yeah. Yeah. How do you organize where those people are going to end up being on stage? Or is this like a... Just, totally, that's totally spontaneous. That's in the moment. Yeah, but, well, so basically for only for a moment was the, the karaoke thing where I was like, oh, it might be cool if, like, if I can point somebody out in the crowd, if I can see them. But usually I have about seven songs before that part hits where I'm kind of keeping my eyes peeled right. to see people. And, and people who are wearing the tassels often want to be noticed. So I'm like, okay, there's mm-hmm. one there, there's one there. So, yeah. And tassels create more tassels, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the one, I think when, when people showed up in Edmonton with it and we posted a couple of pictures, then that probably gave mm-hmm. people the idea to, to wear for the next one. And my wife has a theory that you're trying to become a gay icon. Oh, interesting. And at first I was like... <laughs> I go, no, no, he's not. I was like, trust me, it's just like a thing where he's kind of like inspired by Brandon Flowers. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm yeah. not sure if Brandon is a gay icon. But then yeah. you, I went in the middle of the crowd at one point, and I was surrounded by gay dudes. Oh. And then, because I started filming you, and you came out to Dancing Queen. Oh, yeah. And I was like, is this a thing you're actively trying to do? Mm, not actively, but I think uh, some of those sensibilities that come by naturally. Mm-hmm. And, like, and I like the... Here's the thing. I like the show to be more flamboyant and fun than a typical rock show it's like uh there's other rock shows that are a lot more like masculine and like like yeah, a glorious sun show yeah or like foo fighters or something there you go yeah that's like that where and and to me i uh, when we put out our first record uh, when all the bosses coming came out there was like the, the dude ratio was like 65 35 probably guy to girl mm-hmm. and i never loved it that much because it's like you just attract like drunk dudes who are who get into fights with each other and i like drunk dudes but i don't like the like getting to fight kind of drunk dude you know Mm -hmm. um so over the years i think it's like transitioned to into a more like a dance party yeah dance parties more 50 50s but it's more it's like because i don't think of ourselves as as a rock band as much as they do just like a fucking just musical group to quote our friend uh cage elephant we talked to matt from cage elephant today that's a tease for that's a future a episode anyway, I, love, I like i like i like what he said there so uh anyway but i uh so i but i think the vibe is so much more fun at the shows at least for me like, yeah if, if you have like a really good mix of like girls and gay dudes and we actually have a lot of uh like lesbian fans whose first Dances have been our, our songs and stuff like that. Really, it's so cool. Yeah. Man. What's the uh, number one wedding dance? Arkansas? And then some. And my heart's always yours. Those two. Yeah. Shane, you loved in then some when he sent the demo, the yeah. demo run. Right? Was that the one you loved? Did I tell you that? Y- yeah, you went nuts on that one. I yeah. feel like. Oh, did I? Yeah, yeah hey, I do. Is there, I like more, uh, is there any more of that vodka? Yeah. 
Get it up. Get in there. All right. And, and, and give me, like, put half of it in that cup, and I'm going to put this Perrier in there. I'm going to make a little vodka soda. Whoa. Yes. Cool. Now we're talking. Well, I mean, now that we're doing the damn thing. Do I have like... to go back to Hamilton? Mm. Oh, Max. I, you know what? I actually I hadn't hung out with you in quite some time, and we got together Sunday night with Dan Hamilton. It was great. That this was a good fun stuff. night. It really makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, there's a pain deep within me. <laughs> uh, and this eases it. That's this eases it. Oh, you went too heavy. Oh, sorry. That's yours. Okay. <laughs> no, no hesitation. Literally half. There we go. Oh, you're gonna do it like that? Yeah. I thought you were gonna pour that in there. What? Uh, what yeah. What else? Uh, anything? Any, any other ob- like crowd observations? Uh, I liked. Uh, I thought the bit with um, there was a girl. It was her birthday, and it felt very. Um, oh yeah. So you're giving out the doctor's notes. Although I did have a little concern. Sure. Because it was a Saturday night show. I know. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I turned to Danik and I go, I, I get the bit, I dig the bit. I go, but they're fucked when it's a Saturday or Friday I know, night. I know. No, but they're... here's the thing: you do, like you said famously before, all your fans are university students, mm-hmm. right? Anyone in Canada who's a university student is an Arkells <laughs> fan, I believe. Was the direct yeah. quote. That's, of the Arkells. That's the direct quote. Yeah. yeah, and they probably have part-time jobs where they do work on Sunday, so yeah. maybe and it some will. People work. do have to work on on Sundays. Yeah, but but I agree. Person. But you know, to, to be honest, in my mind, as I was walking through the crowd, I was like, fuck, it is Saturday. Like, you know, this is going to be hard to find people that actually have to work. And I had three notes prepared. I always have three notes. And the first two, it was kind of hard to find the people. I could tell. I was watching you sweating. I'm like, okay, he's doing crowd work right now. Good luck finding someone that goes, (laughs) yep, I got to work tomorrow. And I feel like one person actually understood and helped you out with the bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like this guy needs a hand. He's sure. I'm working at eight a.m. tomorrow. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But you, it, you handled it. Great. It was fine. But then what? Um, what had happened earlier? Do our listeners know what the bit is? Maybe oh, yeah. The, the bit is basically I emerge in the crowd halfway through, eyes on the prize, and I want to get a good look at the crowd, and I, I want to make sure they're committed to the night. You're walking I, through the I'm crowd. Walking through with the, the people. And I keep on bringing back this Saturday night theme, no matter what day of the week it is. Um, and I start handing out doctor's notes on a, on a pad that says from the desk of Doc Arkells. So it's like, it looks like a doctor's note. And uh, I hand them out and say, this person is now not going to work tomorrow. It, it excuses them from work the next day because they're partying so hard at the Arkell show. That's the conceit exactly. of it. Exactly. And, I'll, I'll, and I, I write a, a note and it's, that says, like, due to all the singing and dancing at the show last Do you write night, it live or is it pre-written? I write it. Uh, it's pre-written, but I write down their name on it. I leave a ah, space. Nice. And I just, uh, Which is awesome for a fan to, like, walk away with that piece with of a little. That's what I thought. Oh, it's amazing. Though it did give me a, a slight a, an insight. Uh, I usually thought, like, every single person you, cares about Instagram as much as we care about Instagram. Mm-hmm. But, like, nobody posted the thing. I, <laughs> I did it every, three times a show for, you know, 11 shows. There's, like, nobody put it on the internet. Really? I saw, I saw a couple. A couple. So don't, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Anyway, I thought it would be more. So um, Whose idea was that bit? Mm, that's my idea. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, How often do you find yourself thinking about these things leading up to? A lot. See, that's the thing. It's that like consume your... So much went in. So much planning went into the you tour. You could tell. And, like, just all the little details with, like, the jackets. Like, the horns are all wearing, like, Arkell's jackets. And, like, there's a million little versions of that. I noticed one of the women, she altered the jacket where she yeah. cut the sleeves off. Yeah. Do you have to sign off on that? <laughs> she asked. Well, she was like, I need, to, uh, I need to cut it off because uh, my arms are needed for the baritone sax. So you approved it? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah. I mean, Where would it have gone like if you'd said no? Like, no! <laughs> <laughs> We're going for a consistent look here, yeah. Rachel. I'm just kidding. I don't know what her name Yvonne, is. Yvonne, yeah. She's great. But, um, but anyway, so back to Saturday night. I was like, fuck, this is tough. Um, but then I saw the girl holding a sign. I was like, thank God. Because... 
uh, like earlier in, a, in an oasis in the desert. Yeah, earlier in the tour, that same thing happened. Somebody was it was like a, someone's two year old birthday, and I was like, "Let's sing Happy Birthday." And it was a great mo- moment, mm-hmm. and so it happened again in Toronto. And, right. Well, what was yeah? What was awesome was I, like one thing that I think that obviously you're, you're good at, which a lot of front men are good at, which is like when you're sort of talking from the stage, you're trying to rile a crowd. But when then you like go into an arena crowd like that and you're interacting with people where you're asking, you're letting them answer. So you're giving them mic time and you're going back and forth. Mm. That's a whole other skill that's like <laughs> crowd work. That like comedians do that yeah. and usually can't do it well. So I was like sitting there, Danica, well, we were we were in the we were in the, the main GA, like the crowd. We were all hanging out. We had a whole group of us, Jules, who wasn't mm. shirtless, and Shane and Alex. But when I was watching it, I was just like, it's not really a tightrope. It's one night, a moment passed. So if you're not good at it, no one's going to remember who gives a shit. Yeah. But I thought you were great at it because uh, it was thanks. like you were reacting, you were listening to answers, then you were making jokes, and then you finally get to the girl whose birthday it is. And I was like, oh, he's home at this point. Oh, Because exactly. then the whole crowd sings happy birthday. The girl's like jaws on the floor. It's like this thing she'll never forget. It's this magical moment. And everybody feels fucking amazing. Yeah. And the, and the cool thing about doing the show a bunch of times is that you have a structure in mind. So like I know uh, – what's your name? Oh. Oh, Jen, what, what time is it? 7.30? All right, ladies and gentlemen, Jen isn't going to work tomorrow. And I know that always gets a big mm-hmm. applause. Yep. You know? like, so there's beats that I know I'm, I'm going to hit. Uh, but then it also allows for spontaneous things to happen, like the birthday thing. Also, I had planned out when I go to the front of house on the floor and I sing the last part of the, the bridge before the band kicks back in, I always go, guys, but damn, I need to get back to the stage. How am I going to get back? All right. Part the way, part the way, and then it's this cool thing that happens where the whole audience parts. And, and it gives I, you a runway. Back gives me a stage. runway. It's like you're Moses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. He's already got a complex. <laughs> I didn't say God. <laughs> and, 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 and I just can imagine like the, the visual is kind of cool, and if you're like depending on like my vantage point, it's kind of cool just to see all these faces like mm-hmm. waiting for me. But then what happened at the Toronto shows? This girl just grabs my hand and dances me to the front. Yeah. Did, did you see that? No, yeah. And, and she kind of looked like it was like typecast for like she's like I'm gonna spin you to the front. I was like, okay, let's do it. I meant to ask because I thought she was part of the bit. No, no, she wasn't. She wasn't a plan. She wasn't a plan. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was a great moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was awesome. Uh, so that was really fun, and, and like the uh, you know, one of the thing I was wondering about. So, so for that song, uh, what's the, what's the one that you do the crowd work in? Uh, Eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. So there's like a musical breakdown where like uh, you know there's a bit of misdirection here. There's a bit of stagecraft. Yeah. So the band's like doing the dan, dan, you know, get the horns doing the whole thing. At this point, you leave the stage. But you don't really notice because the band is rocking so hard. There's a lot of like, you know, look what my left hand is doing because my right hand is doing this. Yeah. Didn't realize you were gone from the stage until you emerge halfway down the arena. So I turn to Danica and I go, that was nice. I go because I actually didn't realize he was gone until he emerged. And then I started thinking about the cardio you need oh, yeah. to get from the stage out to the bowels of the ACC into the 100s. So yeah. out from the lower part, run all the way half arena and then emerge. How do you do it? Do you have bodyguards running beside you yeah. like a presidential So what candidate? happens is, so we, I was like, okay, so I need time to get out to the crowd. And some arenas are bigger than others. So the, during the beginning of Eyes on the Prize, the stage is dark at the, at the front of the catwalk. And our roadies are setting up Anthony's keyboard stand yep. and a microphone. So by the time the second chorus hits, Tony's making his way to the front. Tom, our trumpet player, is making his way to the front. 
And by the end of the second chorus, I've already left the stage. And the spotlight, the whole arena is dark. The spotlight is on the two of them. And they're doing this extended jazz solo. That's what so it was. So all the eyes are on them doing this like kind of cool duo thing. Meanwhile, Ash has met me on the side of the stage. She has the, the pen and paper with me, with her. And we're sprinting. Like it's like a two-minute sprint. And that particular route at the AC or Scotiabank was hard to get to. So basically you have to like, yeah. Just run full sprint for like, you know, a solid two minutes probably. But do you have security people or is Ash just literally knocking people out the way? Uh, it, it, at that point in the show, there's not too many people to run into. Because they're not out there getting the, beers yeah. or what food. Are the, how do the people react who do see you? It, it, they don't know what they're looking at. Like, there's actually a couple of pictures. You go blowing by. They're like, is that a gay icon? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their eyes are blinded by the star. <laughs> ah, <laughs> <like>, Hello. <laughs> His arms are streaming so beautifully. It's like a star through the sky. Uh, so you guys just run through, and then the randoms that are maybe getting a hot dog or a beer yeah. just get to see the lead singer of the Sprinting, band. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so it was a cool moment. Yeah, there's, there's someone uh, documented good pictures uh, from, from that particular I've, run. I pictured it like you actually were flanked by security guys jogging at the same pace. Like you know how you see that sure. for politicians all the time. Yeah, no. With with us, I'm not. I'm not never too worried about security. It's, it's no one's. Uh, you know, too rough with me. But um, yeah, that like that was a good moment. Oh, another thing that um, that was really fun on this tour was I was like, man, I just want. We have the horns. Sometimes we have the singers. It was like I want some choreography. Like I want to be Bruno Mars so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that bit in Saturday Night. Uh, in the song Saturday Night, where Tony pulls out his guitar and I pretend like I hate the guitar, but people in the crowd love the guitar. How do you express that you hate the guitar? I, I go, nobody wants a fucking guitar. Guitars are lame. <laughs> it's like, I thought, you know, we've been coming to Toronto for years and we were always worried about this too cool for school Toronto. And you're telling me you want a guitar now? <laughs> like, that's like the bit. Uh, and then he, and he does this thing where he, like, he hits a note and I go, it's like, my mind is saying no, but my body's saying, woo! Wait, who wrote this? I did. Oh, wow. I actually came up with that one in the moment, too. That, yeah. that came on like the second or third show. I was quite happy with that. And then uh, the coolest part, so it's like we, we do this build up and Mike throws in a lick and, and it all seems very improvisational. So it's like Tony goes, and then I was like, Mikey, what you got? And he goes, and then the sax adds it. And then Tim comes in with the drums and it launches into this finale section. And then the final like four rotations through, we do the synchronized dance. Did you guys catch that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted like a little bit of choreography. And actually, I got the idea for that from Natalie Prass. Um, because at the show, she did this little bit of choreography during her set. It was just like one time. Where, Another future guest for listeners. That's right. Where she and her bassist and her guitarist did this like kind of old school like Motown kind of thing. And, but people's minds explode because the whole thing seems so uh, spontaneous. Yeah. But clearly, like it's not. It's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> that's a harsh way to put it's it. A it's, it's a, a lie. traveling theater <laughs> show, yeah. Shane. But that's my favorite part, honestly, and that's like what makes I think Springsteen so good, or any great performer. That like they're able to like make it feel like magic. Like it's well, here's the happening. thing, and and I think that and and you'd speak this more than others, but like there needs to be like say you're in Vancouver or Toronto or Calgary, there's going to be something unique about that show. Yeah. It's its own living beast if you're not just going through motion. So yeah, there's bits, but they're going to change because of circumstances that night or something unexpected happens. In the yeah, you react to it in the exactly. moment. Exactly. Yeah. So it does make it unique, you know. Mm. But I, it is funny, I think, philosophically, how music, and I think it's more accepted now like this, but it's like if Jerry Seinfeld's on tour and he's going city to city, nobody's like, oh, he did that in the city the night before. But with music, there's sort of this illusion of... Yeah, of course, where it's like, 
It's it, not theatrical in some ways. It's not theatrical. It's supposed to be like you're reacting to the music itself. And, yeah. And like, and it needs to Do you be... feel weird about sort of revealing craft or do you... No, no. I think it's cool. I, I like um, knowing how the greats like pull off their bits. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think it's cool. But uh, and then and then the uh, the other part which I was really happy about was uh, ending with hand me downs and the oh and you know, like the whole place to do it yeah like that that was like oh that's such a cool moment so it's like I did so we spent a lot of time thinking about like what are the the little moments throughout the set that we can sort of try to orchestrate and like kind of cross our fingers that it'll go the way we hope yeah and uh have you ever done something like that and like all right sing it and they they don't know the song as well as you thought or <laughs> like it's like 10% yeah. of the crowds joining in of course i mean on, on the canadian run i was a little more confident but right. uh yeah i'm like okay i guess i'm i'm handling this one <laughs> <laughs> do you get nervous more for like a live podcast which something which isn't as practiced yeah or? way more nervous you do yeah because mm-hmm. um the show itself, that's you know, something we do every day. But, like, for instance, in Calgary, we surprised these kids uh, who were performing People's Champ. Uh, we showed up to their school and, like, jammed with them, all these elementary school kids. And we were all kind of nervous for that. We were, like, it was, like, noon. We were standing, like, in the gym closet waiting to surprise them. <laughs> and we're all, like, looking at each other, like, how's this going to go? Like, yeah, because they all want to see, like, Little Pump or something. <laughs> right? <laughs> when we came out, there were some people who were, like, recognized us immediately. But there's a bunch of kids who were, like, what the hell is going yeah. on here? They're just, like, very confused. What's the biggest song with the kids? Knock in the door, I think. And, mm, yeah, okay. that's probably the biggest one. Seems like it's going well. Yeah, it's been fun. And you were what? We're in the middle of it, or uh, down? yeah, we're kind of uh, yeah. We started the U.S. leg, so we're going to Buffalo, and we're on the road for a while. So. Wait, so we're still going to have infrequent pods, or are we just going to have mm-hmm. to do Collins? Uh, no, I'm going to try. I'm kind of he- back and forth a bit, so we'll just have to really plan our schedules to make sure when I'm back for the day or two. We we'll just keep coming back to this office until that <laughs> bottle is gone. <laughs> That's right. Wait, well, l- last question. Yeah. Do you ever wear the uh, frilly jacket around town? No, but I am wearing an Arkell's music jacket, Touring Inc., uh, around town right now. My brother Greg rolled into my place wearing one of those the other day. I know. I was like, you got one of the touring jackets? He goes, I demanded it from Max. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And I'm wearing a pod hat. Maybe he I didn't like demand that. it. He listens to this pod, and he'll be like, I didn't say I demanded it. He, he did demand he, it. Oh, did he? Yeah, okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Con- confirmation. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the big machine vodka, our guest today, guys, <laughs> is Scott Bruschetta. Our guy. You sat in on this interview, Max, because yeah. you guys had like a rapport. You know, I felt kind of like the third wheel. Yeah, Scott's been uh, a good dude to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sends us the vodka. He treated me really well mm-hmm. on the show. Give the people some context for Mr. Scott Bruschetta. Scott is a music mogul, basically, at this point. Uh, is, you know, he is responsible for discovering and signing Taylor Swift. She's a big uh, person. She mm-hmm. is. Uh, Florida Georgia Line, he's the label for... I don't know. Dude's been at it for a while. Who do you think he brags about more? <laughs> I mean, he probably gets asked about Taylor a lot. Yeah, it's not really his style. He's kind of like he's a very... Um, you never know when you're going to talk to one of these people that's sort of been very successful in music for so long. And you know what I mean? He knows that his Wikipedia entries are like, discover Taylor Swift. How's this? How's that? And I felt that he was pretty um, thoughtful and interesting about sort of discussing the business and why a song works or doesn't work. And sort of being like, I guess, what would be the equivalent of like a producer on a movie. Someone that like brings these things together, makes creative choices, but also sees the forest through the trees. So I thought it was interesting to see how a guy even has a job like that. Like, how was that a career? How we got there? And then how he's sort of operates while sort of occupying that post. So you're if you're a guy like that, do you have to be musical yourself or 
Is it kind of like being a coach where it's like you can tell LeBron to dunk, but you can't necessarily do it? That's a great question. He is musical Mm because he was in a band. Yeah, and his dad was a music label guy too. But that's a good question maybe for for a guy that's in a successful band, Max. Do you think in order to to do his role, you have to be a musician? Not necessarily. It is funny though because there are are some people that I know that will remain nameless that will like talking about how they have golden ears, like people on the label side who are like, I know I can hear a hit. I discovered it. Like I knew it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just like a funny thing to brag about because you're like, I don't, I don't know. And so, but but it, I was thinking, it must feel pretty good to be him because he, like out of all people who, who could brag about that, he's pretty high on the list of... He's got a uh, legit track record. Yeah. Do you remember record. when you sent me knocking? Yeah. What'd I say? You said, uh, I've got golden ears and this is a hit. <laughs> no, I said it's a hit. <laughs> it's a hit. It's true. The golden ears is obvious. And you liked it then some, too. And then, true. And that's true. That's, that's, like, yeah, yeah. that's the wedding song now. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Shane's. Good. You're maybe you're in the wrong business. That's true. You could be sending guys vodka and uh, co-creating. I with- don't think I can make vodka this good. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff really hits you. Like one shot, you're fucked. Yeah, well, the shot, shot glasses are massive. Like I'm using it now as just a cup that yeah. I've mixed a vodka soda. Into. <laughs> as the guy who hasn't had anything, you're talking way louder and you're slouch back. Way <laughs> <laughs> We're getting loose. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, and then obviously the biggest component uh, is the launch, which is, is yeah. the big show on CTV. Uh, what was your experience like on that show? I mean, you guys, we touched on it obviously in the interview, you but. Know, you know what's funny about it is that, so that show, I mean, the filming of it itself came at a particularly. Uh, terrible time because it was just before the record came out and we were doing our show there's like i took on way too much so this was very busy for that reason but my responsibility on the show felt way less way less it felt so light like compared to what everybody else had to do on it like john the the musical producer john levine he after we did our segment he had to produce the song so he basically went right from the thing that we were all doing together into the studio and worked with two separate acts to record their versions of the song way more heavy lifting way more heavy lifting like obviously scott borchette is like a producer on the show he he's involved in every conversation mary may is there for every episode so i was just sort of like the last guy and i just kind of got to like Sort of just be myself, and th- like, uh, and I like, the one part of my contract I demanded was I get to go for like uh, like an hour and a half lunch with Ash. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, and um, so anyway, I felt like I didn't actually work that hard. It was it was fun and interesting because I got to see how a television show was made. But then they did so much promo around the show. I've never been a part of so much promo. So people were like, I'm seeing your face on like you know every Sunday football game on CTV. It's like there you are. It's like you're on the side of buildings. So it was just a funny thing that like the thing I did the least amount of work for possible was the was, most visible. Was by far the most visible thing that I've done. So, but I was I was happy with the way the episode turned out. Have you uh, in doing all this? Are you like from now on? I'm not going to try to do as much. Like I, <laughs> I get I get burnt out. No, oh, you mean in terms of my schedule? Yeah. Oh, sure. No, I, I like to be busy. That was, mm-hmm. that was probably teetered over the line of what was reasonable. Because I have a uh, controversial question to ask you. Give it to and me. I want you to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, the other day, we wanted to record a pod on the day of your show. Hold on. Hand oh, me the vodka yeah. over before this happens. <laughs> this is, now we're getting deep. I don't think this is going to be controversial at all. Well, well, I just want you to be honest. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because, yeah. <laughs> if you don't answer correctly, we're going to think you're lying. Anyway. Okay, cool. But, okay, so... We said, hey, Max, would you like to record an episode of the the pod the day of your show? Uh-huh. Which, admittedly, maybe is too much to ask of Max. At sure. Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, at Scotiabank Arena. So you said, yes, I'd love to do it. And then you put Ash on a Oh, I know, I know where this is going. Well, let me tell yeah, the fans. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you, on a group text with Ash, the next message was, 
hey, Ash, can we find a room? <laughs> I know what you think. This would be fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, Ash says, oh, Max, I know it would be fun for you, but we can't do it. We have to do the show. And you're like, you're right, Ash. Sorry, so, so, so you thought I was doing the thing that I would do to some sort of acquaintance. Like you were handling hey. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I was like, oh, I'd love to do. Let, let me just see if my people think it's okay. Thought crossed my mind. That is 100% not the case. We know you each other. You swear? 100%. Okay, I'll tell you exactly. And by the way, I could pull up the text. I mean, Ash and I text each other too much to find it because it was literally like a long time ago. But... um what happened was, I honestly thought I could do it. I was like, because the way it was presented, I was like, oh, that would be really fun. But I don't know my schedule that well. And Ash, who knows how my brain works and knows when I need to rest and when I might like be overdoing it, she knew that. It's like, no, yeah, you think you have a lighter day, but you actually don't. You're going from this to this to this. And also, she's very good at predicting 19 things that we don't know yet that will inevitably come up. So she's like, Max, your day is not actually that free, and there's going to be six things that we don't know yet that are going to come up, and I really recommend you not doing it because it's going to stress you out. And she was 100% right. Yeah. So, so, but when you suggested it, my first instinct, which was wrong, was, let's do it. I have time. But yeah. And you know you can always be honest with us. Right? Of course. Right. Yeah, no, but it was not me handling, uh, handing you off to, to management. Sure. I want. I want to. I want to find. I actually want to find the text because uh, she texted me. I was like, "Hey, can I do this?" She's like, "You don't want to do this." I was like, "Oh yeah, I probably don't want to do this that day." Okay, got to the bottom of it. Built up the courage. Thank you. (laughs) It only took half a bottle of big machine vodka. Uh, So, uh, guys, uh, as we always say, we've had uh, maybe you're a huge Scott Borchetta fan, a launch fan. Check it out on CTV. I believe there's a couple more weeks run when you'll be hearing this, but also go back. It lives on CTV.ca. Check out all the great artists that come out of that show. Uh, As for us, we have eight shows on Crave that we would love you to check out. We also have over 120 episodes of our podcast. Go back, listen to them if you're coming for the first time. Guys, I don't think I have anything else. Are we just going to get to Mr. Scott Porchetta? It's, it's, it's been about 45 minutes. So yeah. This might be our longest pod ever, but you know what? People have been waiting around, so I'm, I'm not going to cut like any of this. No, it's all gold. And uh, stick around for the dessert, because uh, people love dessert, right, Shady Boy? It's true, they do. Are they, how much more does Vodka have for the dessert? <laughs> all right, want to get to Scott Porchetta? Let's do it. We're just rolling, guys. Should we just Let's get into this? We're going to do this. I feel you guys are like bantering the way you do on the launch. Right? Yeah, Is this well, what the, it's like between uh, takes? There's time. There's a lot of time to kill sometimes. But Scott has way more decision making to do than, than me. Are you saying he's <laughs> far more busy on set? Way busy. <laughs> this was the, it was, for me, the experience was sort of a delight because I was so pampered and so taken care of by everybody. Yeah. But I, I didn't actually have that much work to do. Well, they told us you were like a total diva. Kind of <laughs> yeah. we, better, we better be ready, you know? Yeah, it's like, don't push him too hard. He'll snap. But yeah, so I have I had a lot of time to go for my walks and stuff. But then Scott was like furiously checking emails and having important conversations. <laughs> and it was like just doing stuff all the time. You're just playing Brick Breaker or Snake on your phone? <laughs> kind of. I, those he, are he old references. He was jumping around the furniture and everything. <laughs> yeah. we, we had a great time, though. And it's been very easy for Max since the moment we met. Just connected the first time we were here at yeah. Bell and, and had that visit when you were announcing your appearance on the launch that's right so. yeah I had a lot of questions because that's the first time you guys had met yeah, yeah. because okay. uh lindsey cox at insight who are the production team behind the, the launch uh, said you should meet scott and see if you guys hit it off i was like i oh, will hit it off because i have so many questions about your job 
and you gave me some good inside dirt, which I really appreciated. <laughs> I was like, all right, I can <laughs> hang out with this guy for yeah, three yeah. days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was great. What happens if you, when you meet like that, what happens if you don't like each other? You just got to fake it. He wouldn't be on the show. Oh. <laughs> He cut. Yeah. Scott would have a dis- discreet conversation with Lindsey Cox and <laughs> pulled off. He's like, yeah, I don't think this guy's going to. That's hilarious. Well, I'm always interested in the idea of, you know, I think being on TV and sort of the construct of television is this whole other sort of challenge yeah. and for guys like you where that's not your primary job. Is that a is that a difficult transition to make? I approach it as the show is really about what I do every day. Mm. So I don't go, okay, well now the, the intent was never to become a TV star. That's not why we do this. The intent, even when I did American Idol, was an A&R mission. If, if American Idol are going to go through thousands and thousands of contestants, and they're going to do all this A&R work for me, let me see what's out there. And so that experience absolutely led to the creation of the launch because I was very frustrated. While I enjoyed the experience and learned a ton about TV production, you know, we waste so many weeks of bad TV. Mm. Honestly, we're 80s night. It's like, what are we doing? I, I would sit in front of these kids and I'm talking about, okay, well, do you remember this song by Billy Idol? Or do you remember this by Tears for Fear? And they're blank face. I'm like, when were you born? Yeah. <laughs> and well, yeah, and there, I only had one kid that was born in 89. Yeah. Oh. And everybody else, so they, and then we're talking about movie night. So the point is, how can we take the millions of people who really enjoy these shows and flip it on its head? As the label for Idol, we get down to those last few weeks where we go from five to three to two to one, and you're trying to guess what the song would be, which producer would be right, and it was it's you're just throwing darts. And we we did reasonably well with the singles that we did, but I'm like, man, if we can take this opportunity and and really go after it from a record company perspective, very selfishly. Let me start with a great producer and a great song. And let's cast five artists that we think could be right for this, who are ready for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's not the kids sitting at home singing into the mirror with a hairbrush. It's if Max's band hadn't been signed for whatever reason, and the Arkells came on, and you just needed that moment with a Ryan Tedder as a producer or a Nile Rodgers, it's like, man, we got everything it takes. We just need that break. Yeah. And that's what's so cool because we have proof of concept. But that's, that's kind of the, the broad stroke of how it happened. So for me, it's just doing my job and the cameras are rolling. But uh, Here's a question, though, because you are more sort of, I think, camera ready and you're a good sort of motivational speaker in a way than, than other music industry people that I've met. You, 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 I'm sure you know many music moguls that would be terrible on television. <laughs> you right? right? And, and I was you know, reading about your, your background and, and your dad who was involved in music in LA and Nashville. It, was your dad a charismatic guy? Like, well, what's, what's your dad like? Yeah, he's one of those larger than life characters. Uh, okay. You know, and spin a yarn. Never meets a stranger, and (laughs) he was always the guy. You know, it's you look back at these things, and you're so glad you have these photos with these celebrities or athletes. But in the moment, you know, your dad's hustling like, "Oh, get over there, get in the picture," and you're so uncomfortable. Uh And but he was always that guy of like, "Oh, you got to meet this, you got to do this," Uh and and so you know, in the moment, as little kids, you're just like, 
I think we're interrupting everybody. Uh, <laughs> but stop it, Dad! They yeah. just want to be left alone, right? But it was it was a great lesson in how to walk into a room and to take over. But I learned restraint, which he never did. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we're, we're all evolutions on our parents. Well, though, right? Mike, we're always right. like 2.0. You are your dad 2.0. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, like he'll you, love you and your dad are very, No, but yeah. you and your dad are very similar. Right. But you're a slightly more refined version of your dad. Well, that's what we all are. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Refined yeah. versions of our. our parents. You got any of your mom in you? What, what, what attributes? Yeah, because my mom is very calm and she's very good at just survival mode, if mm. you will. You know, my parents got divorced when I was very young, like eight or nine years old. And she figured out how to take care of her three kids and also have at least one job and also was going to school. She got her degree after 19 years. So, but just kind of, I think that determination of... You can climb the mountain. You don't know how long it's going to take, but keep climbing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, and did you spend time between LA and Nashville then? Like as a kid? Like would you So grew up in Southern California. So was born there. Then my dad went to Nashville in the late seventies and then I went to visit him in the early eighties. How old were you? You've been like early. Yeah. So early. So late teens at that point. I was already uh, one year of college. Mm -hmm. And so going to college for accounting and marketing and I'm like, all right, what was great about my one year is it taught me that what I wanted to do in life, I couldn't learn at school. Sure. Well, that's like training for what would be considered a conventional job. Like you said, yeah. an accountant or whatever. And it's interesting to me because your dad's in the industry. Your mom was not. She wasn't. No. So when you want to go into like a career in the arts and you know, it's so, I mean, it's hard to be successful. I think in, in the yeah. industry, as you guys know, is what the show's yeah. all about. Uh, was that like a hard sell with your mom? Like you're like, I'm going to give it a go here. Was she like, no, maybe get that accounting degree. You know what? I think she knew she couldn't control me <laughs> <laughs> that I was just going to do whatever I was going to do. And I think she always tried to support me very early on, you know, not knowing what the word entrepreneur was. Mm. I had a skateboard business and the way it came about is I wanted to, cause I go back to the Dogtown skate era mm. and we got to skate in pools with Steve, I mean with uh, Jay Adams and Tony Alva and some, uh, you know, for, for that hardcore skater crew. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were there back in the day, wow. but you I still wanted, skate? Uh, no, only in my mind. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm awesome in my yeah, mind. Dude, you should see the air I'm pulling. It's unreal. And, you know, I had this desire. It's like, okay, we couldn't afford anything, but how can I turn this into a business? And she found out a way in Southern California to get me a resale license, which was an official document that had a number. So all of a sudden, I could call Alva Skates and order Alva Skates. I could call Sims and order wheels and trucks. And so I did that. I would sell to all my friends, much reduced from all the skateboard shops. But I had all the cool stuff, and I made enough money to where I had all the best stuff for free. Uh, undercutting the competition. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was kind of the first thing of being in business. And she saw that I was going to figure that part of it out. So I've always, for the most part, been in business for myself. Well, this is the thing with entrepreneurs is I always find there's this inherent confidence. It's like you never really think about the worst case scenario. It's yeah. like, no, it's going to work out. It's going to be great. We're going to be a huge success. Do you, is that your natural preset? You have to have an optimism, right? Yeah, but do you have like moments of like, should, should I, we, this we, might not, should we wait till the yeah. the emergency passes? 
It seems settled now. Yeah, okay, I think it's okay. It did pick up in the mic, so I'm glad you acknowledged it. You want to ask it again? Sure. Well, I mean, essentially, yeah. What I was asking is like with entrepreneurs, there's sort of this inherent confidence. You know, they always think about what the the best possible outcome is going to be. They don't really try to focus on maybe the myriad of negative things. Are you someone that sort of like always has that, or do you have those insecurities where you go, "Shit, it might not work out"? I, I think there's no fear of failure. Honestly, it's like if we fail, then we'll have worst case scenario. We will have learned something. Mm. And I've never, you know, kind of outpunted my coverage as far as what I could afford to lose. So I've never been $10 million in debt. So it's all right. I know if we can do this, you know, if I lose everything, I'm still okay. Yep. So I've always kind of set up my whole career. I, I could go through everything and show you the different layers, you know, starting the label was absolutely that moment of like I can always go back and be senior vice president of promotion anywhere because we honestly we were crushing it I, not to sound like a jerk or anything but I was the Michael Jordan of that it's like I got this keep telling me I can't slam facial coming right up <laughs> you know I mean there was no stopping us so if I can take what we've learned there and one of the things I knew when we started the label is I was going to get a few shots at radio so if I could have the right couple of songs, right couple of singles out of the box, we had a running start. But if I failed in those first three or four singles, ew, that it may not have worked. So I, kn- I was very aware of what we could do. Yeah, you want to go up to the line of confidence before you turn into Billy from Fire Festival? I was just going to ask if you watched that Fire Festival doc. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's you like, don't want to yeah. like fall off the cliff and just turn into that fraudster. Have you yeah, watched a doc yet? Yeah, and it, you know, it's just... You see that guy. You yeah. know what I mean? It's right? Like, That's, you run into yeah. that guy all the time all the in the time. industry. He just got lucky. And I, I've met that guy 25 times if yep. it's been once. And I don't know him. I don't mean any disrespect. But Do you mean literally you've met him 25 no, times? No. I mean, mean I've met those type of guys I agree as everywhere, well. yeah, right? Totally. And you know, he, just, he was able to pull off the great rock and roll swindle. Yeah. And man, it's a shame because... If they had actually been smart about the location, Done the work. they might have just pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, that's, that's a gamble I don't take. You know, I would say, Mike, Max, if we're, we're going to do this and here's what it's going to see. Because one thing I tell all my artists, for example, is what I call a return on your time investment. Because, Max, how many times have you been told by a label or managers like, dude, you got to go do this. And you're like, why? It's like, well, just because. Well, that's the wrong answer. Yeah. I want to say, Max, here's the idea. And if we go to iHeart and do X, Y, and Z, here's my expected return for the time you're going to invest. Yeah. So it's the same with everything that I, I look at. It's like, okay, what's the narrative? What's the, why are we doing this? And because if, if we keep asking each other that question, we'll actually make a deeper plan. Mm-hmm. And so... That is, is really pretty much the foundation of what we've done and what we've built and, and how we've built it. Yeah, the thing about that, doc, it's like, you know, we have an experience putting on a show at a f- football field in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And you have been a part, I'm sure, of many shows in unique and exotic locations. And, you know, we, we worked with Live Nation and they, it's a big fact-finding mission where you're like, okay, it turns out to cover the, the football field and just flooring 
that's going to be a hundred thousand dollars or, you know, something crazy. And so it's like to not do any of that when you're like, we're doing it in the Bahamas on an Island. It's like in, in a country that has no infrastructure for this. We have supermodels. It'd be great. It's like, that was the only thing they had thought of. (laughs) This is what I wonder. I always try to get into the the heart and the mind of the person that does that because do they in their heart of hearts think it's going to work out truly? I don't think there's a, he wasn't aware of how much work. And so you think he just got too far and he... he I think he was just like... Hit the point of no return? Yeah, I, I think he was so far out on that limb yeah. that he was just going to go down with it, man. Pot committed. That's the way it came across to me of like, man, there's no turning back. They weren't brave enough to put the brakes on. Yeah. And you have to be... You have to say, hey, you know what? We got ahead of ourselves because there were so many things that you look at that you wish you could create. You know... We all want to have that moment that's viral. And none of us absolutely know how to do it. We have ideas. We throw a lot of lines in the water. But when all the supermodels started posting about it and made it look like the party of the century, people were like, man, I'm in on that. Mm-hmm. And I think they just they got drunk on their own hype. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, are there any um, books or pieces of advice you've gotten over the years that have sort of shaped? Because the way you speak is very... Uh, I think fully formed like the ideas are there but and I feel like anybody in your position was like okay I read this book when I was 19 or I, or I talked to this guy and he said you know just these kind of yeah I guess what, what informs his outlook yeah yeah well I obviously it's a, a culmination of experiences mm-hmm. and you know we touched on my dad's career you know I got to watch him fail mm-hmm. and you know if you look at that era of record guy they were really the first ones and you know, so many times, and I don't know, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, sure. I had 10,000 hours by the time I was 20, just being around it and not even really knowing. And the first time I really figured that out is when I moved to Nashville, you know, I was playing in, in rock bands in LA and my dad was working a country band and he goes, this band's on tour. And I'm like, they're on tour <laughs> at 19 years old. You're like, that sounds amazing. So I try out for this band and I get the gig and we go out on tour and the more I talked and got to know these guys the more I realized they didn't know a thing about the business and I'm like well you should be doing x y and z and they're like how do you know that I'm like oh well I've been around that most of my life and so there was a lot that I learned just from my dad about what to do and learning from his failures and successes one classic thing that it's very kind of bizarre and and a bit of a tangent, I remember clear as day, the family was watching the Academy Awards, and he was working the song from the Poseidon Adventure that was by Maureen McGovern. Like nominated for best song? Yeah. Okay. And he goes, if they win, they're going to announce my name. So the family's gathered around the TV, and the winner is theme from the Poseidon Adventure by Maureen McGovern. And he's freaking out, he's jumping, he's screaming, and they didn't mention his name. And I saw how, how sad he was and how frustrated he was. And I'm like, it's not worth it. And so to this day, when I sit in the audience and one of my artists wins, I don't care if they mention my name or not. If they do, great. If they, they don't, it's not going to change what I do every day. But that was a lesson I got to learn because it crushed him. And I'm like, I'm never going to let that crush me. You know, it's so a form of protecting yourself too. It right? is. That it's a setup. Of, and what's the payoff? It's just your ego. It's like, well, is ego going to pay the bills tomorrow? So there was that. But 
to your point about a certain book or whatever, there I was I was fascinated with reading the Geffen book and mm. the yeah, Mo sure. Austin stories and all of my record heroes back in the day. But also Seth Godin. Oh yeah. The Purple Cow. Yeah. He's got a great podcast too. Yeah. And he tagged me in his new book. Oh. And it was really really a proud moment because we've had this friendship for a, a few years and the gosh i wish i could remember the exact phrase of this little paragraph but it says not taylor swift try scott borchetta yeah. and he just talked about the marketing and what we've done because mm-hmm. i told him this now that we have a number one in 2019 i've had at least one number one record every year for 34 years oh pretty good and because he was saying, he had this one podcast where he's talking about, well, it's impossible to do that. And I hit him back. I said, Seth, with all due respect, it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. And here's the statistics. And you know, he was just fascinated by how we do that and how it's done. And you, know, you can put the right things in place to continue to be successful. You're not repeating it but you're reinventing it all the time. But I always loved the idea of the purple cow because that's how I've been from a punk rock kid. I never wanted to fit in. I always wanted to just kind of be that kind of outcast outlier and observe for whatever reason. I don't know why, but that's just who I've always been. I, you know, when we started the label, I just wanted to be as punk rock as possible not in the music that we make but our attitude of just well I have 13 people and I've told them that we're a big machine and until somebody tells us we're not then we are you know so um, a lot of your job is A&R and for our listeners out there do you want to describe sort of what A&R is in, in a nutshell sure yeah. it's officially artist and repertoire mm-hmm. which and, is a weird name which is like right it's, it's, yeah, that still is like artist and repertoire. Okay, yeah. can you get to the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's dudes and girls and songs, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the it's really kind of the black art of what we do because it's not ten boxes you have to check and just go. Okay, yes, Max has this, 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 this. Okay, dude, we're signing you. Yeah. It's there's a gut feel for me of when somebody walks in the room. There's kind of that character and that charisma and an artistic vision. And I always say, you know, we, we had worked with Tim McGraw for many years. I said, I don't want the guy who sounds like Tim McGraw. I want Tim McGraw. Mm-hmm. So that identity, when Mick Jagger comes on the radio, it's like, that's the Stones, man. So I've always wanted to have those identifiers. And those are bigger risks, but much bigger rewards. Yeah. Whether it was Taylor or Thomas Rudd or Florida Georgia Line. I mean, people made fun of Florida Georgia Line. You know, bro country out of the sun. It's like, you guys make as much fun of this as you want to. But they're talking to a bunch of people who are absolutely their peer group and they want more of this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in what mass media is and what critical mass is. And I joke, I said, guys, if we can get 1% of the population, we're triple platinum in the States. Yeah. So let's find those people and super serve because if you get. 2% 2% or 3%, then you're 10 million. And we get so caught up of, does everybody like me? It's like, I don't want everybody to like us. Find me that 1% or 2 or 3% who love what we do, mm-hmm. and we'll have a blast. So uh, when we were on set, you had a lot of great stories about 
helping to shape records. And and as your job as an A and R person, yeah. you you know you had awesome stories about you know uh, Baby Rexa and Florida Georgia Line making yeah. if it's meant to be. And um, I want to get to those, but I want to. I'm kind of curious. And then <clears throat> you have a really hard job, and I sympathize for you because you have to tell the artists sometimes like big artists yeah. if their ideas aren't good or good enough or if you think they should pivot a little bit and those conversations i can imagine are really difficult and i want to hear about those conversations sure. but before we do that are there instances where you were really adamant that we go a certain direction the artist says no and that you were wrong are there are there times where you where your where your instinct or your gut wasn't exactly uh you know, didn't predict the outcome yeah, in the way you assumed. For sure. Because, um, you know, if we're going to talk about our successes, we have to be able to talk about our failures or maybe where we made a mistake. And I don't know, it, it wasn't as dramatic as what you're laying out. But when Taylor and I were going through 1989, there were songs that were, were, could have worked at country that were not dissimilar. They would have fit within the context of that album. And she and I talked about it. I said, you know, why leave this format in the dust? You've done so much work there. There's millions of fans there, etc. And she said, you know what? This is who I am now, and this is what I want to do. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Okay, and, cool. and she was right. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure because there was that thing that I didn't want to close the door on it because we had done so much work mm-hmm. to become the biggest artist in country. We had already had crossover success with We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together and with Trouble. Mm-hmm. And so we knew when she started that album, she said, hey, I'm going to start with Max Martin and we're going to make this whole album together. I'm like, great, rock on. But that was kind of a moment of, I, I trusted her implicitly, but I said, you know, make sure that you want to do this. And I made it her decision, and she didn't like that. Sure. So she just wanted me to be in. But my job with all of them on a certain occasion is to be the contrarian of like, are you considering this? Because I'm going to be here to support you either way. But in that moment, you know, make sure. Here's the whole playing field. And if you want to go deeper on some of this, great. So that was a moment where it's like, okay, I just want to make sure that she knew. And again, she... She was absolutely on point, and we had such an awesome and huge success. Mm-hmm. So that that was kind of does that that's kind of the yeah, moment no, you're looking absolutely, for, right? Absolutely, yeah, that's exactly that's, what I was. Yeah, and but, as you said, it's like you have to lay out the playing field. Yeah, it's, yeah. Because well, it wasn't like I'm field. not putting the record out or anything like that. It was, you know, and ironically, some of those songs, "Babe" that we put out with Sugarland, what I think was in that moment, and also oh, that session. They, yeah, that's right. I think I read that. And then. Um, the song that uh, Little Big Town put out. Um, uh, which one? Yeah, Better Man. Yeah. So those, you know, anyway, so because in that moment, you were right about the songs. I was right about the songs. You're right, because <laughs> yeah. they went on and they did what they needed huge, to do. Huge yeah. <laughs> so, but Max, another thing that comes to mind, and this is happening in real time, is Brantley Gilbert. Mm-hmm. So we worked really hard on that album all year last year, and he kept sending in songs. And sending in songs, he's like, man, I think I have it. I'm like, it's good. He's like, really? I don't have it yet? I'm like, Bradley, it's, I don't think we had that moment yet. And it got over to, you know, late summer. He turned in eight songs, and he felt great about them. And I'm like, I feel really good about them. Mm. 
He's like, what do I need to turn I'm in? I'm having anxiety hearing that uh, as an artist. Yeah. <laughs> I no, can I, only feel for yeah. yeah. And so I said, look, there's this other song that's been sitting for years. Why don't you take this out and why don't you rework it? Because, man, fine. And he goes, let me call Red Akins, who's Thomas Rhett's dad, and get my track guy, and I'll take him out on the road this, this coming weekend. I'm like, great. So he calls me Friday. He said, dude, I'm going to send you a funny version of that song that you like, but it's called It's On. And it's a big anthemic thing, but it's just, he doesn't want to do it anymore. It's like, can you cuss on this I, on this podcast? Uh, absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to quote the lyric. <laughs> it's on, you motherfucker, it's on, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, we can just say, brother, it's on. But he wrote it kind of in a, it was a, it was a different version of Brantley. He's seven years clean. This song wasn't clean. Uh-huh. So, he's, so it brings back a lot of stuff you didn't want to mess with. But there was this big anthemic chorus. But my idea was like, get in that mode. I need something. I need a Brantley boots in the dirt. Southern Georgia, take me back. And so he sends another song. And it was called uh, New Money. And I'm like, Brantley, this is good. But anybody on Music Row could write this or sing this. I said, it's a nine to five. And that's what I call our songwriters that just, that it's like, okay, any of the three of us could sing. It's like, okay, that's good. And he's like, fine. And then he calls back. He goes, all right, check this. I don't know if it's anything or not. And he he texted it to me and I listened. I hit him back in three minutes and 42 seconds. I said, that might be it. He's like, what? He calls me. He said, are you serious? I said, that might be it. He goes, well, you're on speakerphone and Rhett's here and we're talking. He goes, what do we need to do? You know, maybe there's a female feature on this record. I said, I can hear that. So we start going down the list. So, so we decide that we're going to go and cut this song. We don't have the female feature figured out. And we're thinking of all the bad pop ideas. It's like, oh, well, we could try to get Halsey or this. I'm like, we could try, but that's not Brantley Gilbert. And so he called me and literally goes, all right, how about Kelsey Ballerini? I said, Brantley, Thomas Rhett just recorded a track with Kelsey. He's like, okay. How about Carly Pierce, who's on our label, who had a huge hit with Every Little Thing last year? I said, she just recorded something with her fiance, Michael Ray. He's like, (laughs) Daniel Bradbury. I'm like, we just shipped a Daniel record with Thomas on it. And he goes, what the fuck, man? (laughs) And so I was thinking about the whole weekend. I call him on Monday. I said, I want you to go with me on this. I want to try Lindsay L. I said, she's, she's done all the right stuff. She just hasn't had the right three minutes yet. And he goes, I don't really know much of her music. You know, every time I see her, she's cool. I said, I just want you to trust me on it. Let's just go try it. And here's the deal. If you don't like it, we'll keep trying. Okay, cool. We send Lindsay in with Dan Huff. And she's in for the full day. And they sent me the track. I was so excited to hear it. And it was terrible. <laughs> and the roller coaster of a story. Yeah, I know. Oh I God. did not expect to go. This is yeah. Keep going. It's like it's and like so, seven p.m. It's like, and right. then we tried. <laughs> he won't shut up. More no. sirens. <laughs> um, so I called Dan and I said, Dan, why don't you try this? Because we had a version that Brantley sang all the way through. I said, have instead of going higher with her from the the second chorus. I mean, from the beginning of the second verse. Have her sing exactly in the same key, same melody that Brantley sang that second verse in, and then go high at the last line. Okay. 
Lindsay comes in, who's awesome, you know, ready, willing, and able to to make the record that needs to be made. He calls me, he goes, bingo, uh, we got it. And he sent it to me. I'm like, this is it, man. Wow. And so he goes, do you want her to play the guitar solo? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so he took Brantley's guitar player off and put her solo on, sent it to Brantley, and he called me, he said, I can't believe this. Uh, I love this. It's his fastest moving song to date. We're top 40 this week after just oh, two weeks. Mole. And so the, the, it was a year to get to that moment because once it was there I'm like dude this is the first single let's go and he goes he and his manager said do you want to do the pre-testing I'm like nope I don't need to know what anybody thinks we got it let's go how often are you interjecting because you're working with these like world class producers and musicians and for you to give a musical note that's kind of specific it's like oh drop it down an octave how often do you do that it really depends on the artist, but you know we got to work together on the launch, so you got a kind of a flavor of yeah. of that so i 'm never really you know I, I have to have that conversation, whether it 's Ryan Tedder or Dan Hoff or whoever we 're working with, even with Max on some of those stuff, those early things Max Martin that for carbon, our listeners yeah, having that conversation of like because of what I love about Max Martin and, and you and I spoke about this is what I call the economy of notes. There's no note wasted. You know, it, one of my favorite things that he ever did was the production of Trouble because he has this very specific guitar riff that comes right out of the chorus. And you would never think that that transition could happen so abruptly, but it's beautiful. So that's, that was part of the magic that I learned from working with Max. Yeah. It's fascinating to see sort of how laborious it can be to make a hit song or yeah. anything like that. Because I think for listeners, they think, oh, somebody sits in their bedroom and they write a song and then it gets recorded and it goes to radio and becomes a hit. Yeah. It's like you have sort of an inside look at the minutiae of how literally a song, like the Brantley song, literally takes yeah. a full year from basically inception to market and then yeah. how people sort of respond to it. There's a yeah. great article, um, I forget who put it up, but about that song, The Middle. Oh, yeah. Did you read that? Yeah, yeah. fantastic so, story. So it's Zed it was the yep. producer on it and he had the song ready to go like in March or early in the year. And he, I think it was going to have Camille Cabello sing it, but then her song Havana was blowing up, yeah. so she's like, I can't do that. And then they took it to another pop, but uh, didn't quite sound right. They, they tried out so many different people, but they couldn't find the right fit. And then, and correct me if I'm wrong at any point here, um, they, they landed a Super Bowl commercial for Tar- the song. That yeah, for Target. Yeah, for Target, uh. yes. But it wasn't finished yet. The song, but they still hadn't found the singer. And then, who, who's the country Marin singer? Morris. That's right. How'd they sell the song to Target, to the advertiser? Yeah, what, what, yeah what's the Was there a demo, or was it just... Yeah, I mean, they... Because Target are great. When they find the right moment, you know, they go, we're going to build this campaign around. So they heard the song, uh. and... They probably found, like, an early version of the song, I guess. Yeah. Or, with some other, someone else's voice on it, I think. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. And when they got Marin, they actually recorded that in Nashville at Analog. Oh, wow. And it was just one of those moments. But yeah, I mean, that song, it had so many different paths, and they tried so many different female voices Briggs on was, it. It was tested on it. Like, there's so but many different... But even that is artists. so fascinating yeah. about, like, the, the sort of musical chairs of people that could slip into a song yeah. here or there. Which, and it's super rare. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that was like this incredible moment and then the target commercial was genius because it it landed it was grammys it was grammys because out of nowhere i'm getting texts and stuff and go hey this Marin moore song is really cool i'm like what are you talking about i said well there's this target campaign and um, i woke up the next morning just went 
damn <laughs> it's one of those things you just wish you had yeah you know it's sure. like oh this song is so good you know so I, I was proud of her well that's fascinating too like thinking in, in creative work is like uh not professional like jealousy or envy but like that thing where you go shit i wanted that win how, oh how, yeah how did I miss it? do you feel that oh for sure because even the very first time that you know when we're still selling a lot of physical product that Target commercial was a goal of Taylor's of mine to get that for Fearless. And so I went to L.A. and had all the meetings and everything and was working with Irving Azoff at the time before he left Live Nation. And we set it up, and I started it with a Jewel record that we put out. We put out her country records. Oh, yeah. And that got me in the door because I got them an exclusive with Jewel. I said, here's what I want. We're coming at you in the fourth quarter. And... This is going, you know, I, I just put on the show. I'm like, I promise you, we'll back this up. And so we got that first Target commercial. And from that moment, through reputation, Target has been our number one account. Wow. Yeah, I mean, hundreds of, we held the record, Adele broke it. But we had the record back and forth with Justin Timberlake as far as first day and first week sales. But that moment branded her to her fans as a target artist. So it was very smart on Target's part and it, it worked great for us. Well, Maxie, we got to wrap this thing. Yeah, let's wrap it How up. Do you you got a long day of press. Buddy? I feel like you got stories for, for days. Would you ever write a book? You know, we, we've talked about it and um, not opposed to it. There's a lot of things I can't say yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wait till they sort of time out and everybody, uh, yeah. that's yeah, You're hilarious. in the thick of it right now. You, yeah. you want to write it a little bit, you know, when later, you can maybe. talk candidly and openly. Yeah, because, I, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or anything in real time. And just there's a lot of things that also, too, I, there are things I probably probably would never talk about or put in a book because sure. I was trusted by uh, these are these are people that trust me and entrusted these experiences. So I probably would never outwardly talk about them, but it'd make a make a great book yeah. I, I have one more question you, you, you've been around a ton of great artists and producers and whenever I'm around a, a producer who has uh, chops you go oh my god your, your jaw kind of is on yeah. the floor just how quickly they work yes. and how creative they can be in the room out of everybody who you've come across who are the ones that st stick, stick out and go oh man, that person made my heart pound just because it was just like it was watching Michael Jordan on the basketball court is there anybody who sticks out to you in that way it's a second Michael Jordan reference yeah this is a very basketball yes. podcast yeah. there it is um, you know, a couple people. There's Dan Huff is my guy in Nashville. I've taken so many tough projects to him because I know he can land the song. You know, I know he can take that difficult key change, that difficult moment, whatever, and and nail it. And on another day, I could play you guys demos of where it started and where it ended up, yeah, cool. and going. Here's where it was a junk car, and now here's where it's. We a should Ferrari. make a podcast together we with that idea. That is be a, a lot idea. of fun. Yeah. And so Dan, of course, Max Martin, yeah. because he just the way he thinks, and also too the way that Max operates. He's always bringing in young people around him, and I, I kind of do the same thing at the label. It's like bringing those young interns because they'll just nip at my heels all day. Have you seen this? Have you? Do you know this? You had a story on the launch where you're like someone told me to do this, and I didn't even know what it was, but it was a young person in the office. And yeah, it was the right move. Yeah, and so you, you have to because I, I really do consider myself every day a student of this game. And the other one is Ryan Tedder. Mm. I mean, Ryan is so fast and so specific, but also very open. And, you know, he allowed, like on this first track that we have coming from the season, it's called Better. And we, we really, he let me really push the envelope and explore on some things. And we ended up getting a feature by Boy Wonder and, and Kelly oh, on this cool. first track. Wow. So it's, uh, it, he, he's awesome. Ryan's awesome. Like yeah. It. 
All right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time, Scott. Really appreciate it, man. To the dessert. I hope you enjoyed listening to Mr. Scott Borchetta. We still have his bottle of Big Machine vodka. <laughs> I won't post this now because we don't want to, uh, um, any controversy. But literally, yeah, save that. For <laughs> He's concentrating extra hard. I know. To get it in. <laughs> nice burp. You ready? You ready to do a dessert? Aliu. <laughs> I hope the listeners are enjoying this episode. And honestly, I'm just enjoying being around uh, you two guys. It's been a while. <laughs> I, I, as a person with a wife and a child, like, how much are you? You have a wife and a kid. <laughs> what, no, happened? Yeah. what happened on this tour? <laughs> uh, what is like? Are you just like itching for like a night out? Because you don't. You really have to pick your spots, right? Like, so what is what's going on right here? I just wait for our Kell shows. <laughs> That's my one night out a year. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, you don't go out as much. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that this is more explainable in the fact that it actually is truly organic, that we came into an office and there was vodka and now we've had a couple? Yeah, yeah. And it's not like I'm going to be uh, telling my wife about this. <laughs> 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 she stopped listening to the pod a long time ago. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, she used to listen to every episode, but uh, she doesn't anymore. Mm. Uh, but sorry, did you introduce me? <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I but missed I was doing it. it. I was doing the shot. Everybody, it's our pop culture aficionado, Mr. Yeah. Shane Christian Cunningham. Okay, well, this is a little embarrassing, but you like Max is hard to get like nailed down. So, but not because you think I'm more famous now. It's just because do, our schedule happens. No, I don't think you're more famous. You just are more famous. But no, but <laughs> it has nothing to do with my. My not being able to nail me down. It's just you're saying the your, band avail- was on your tour. availability has well, not changed at all. Your availability has only in this particular month because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not mad tour. at you. This sure, is an sure. indictment against sure, Max. Sure, sure, I'm sure. just coming up with an excuse of why I don't necessarily have something prepared. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay sure, sure. Oh, we sprung this on you. Yeah, because oh. like usually what happens is Mike will say, "How does this day work?" And I'll say, ah, well, I'm going to need another day because I have some, like, magician coming in or something. But today when he said, uh, how does today work? I would go, I'll do it. Because we don't get you around sure. anymore. Like the way we used to. And you're leaving town, like, sure. in a couple hours. You have a show. But, but just for the record, it'll come back to a normal schedule, like, in a month. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, good. Just you don't have to justify yourself. <laughs> I just don't like the, insinu- we're not, we're not like I don't like the insinuation part- that it's like, oh, Mr. Big Time, can't nail you down like no, we used no. to back in the good old days, because that's not the case. We do not think you're going to be popular forever. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> this will come and go. <laughs> this too will pass. But just let you know, at, I had a couple ideas for this dessert. I was trying to get my um, a little backstory. I woke up one day. And in that's a good thing. <laughs> the alternative Hopefully, it's bleak. like that tomorrow. The way I'm drinking. <laughs> but I woke up and I just boom, twenty Instagram followers were gone. What? Oh yeah, they did a big purge. So I was like, "What the hell did I do? What did I say?" I looked at my stuff. I saw, like, you know, sometimes you can insta by accident with like your butt cheeks. Well, you're much more talented than me, Mike. You know that. <laughs> but I was like, "Oh, did I put something up insane?" I was like, "No," and I was like, "Oh my god." I got to figure out a way to get these followers back. And I just want to get more popular on Instagram in general 
to start advertising the Crave Show more because mm. we're trying to get it out there. We're trying to get those numbers. Up. You've been awesome about promoting the Crave Show. I will say, in this stretch where everybody's super busy, Shane always comes in with other ideas. Every day he comes with an idea about how to better promote the Crave Show, and it's inspiring. And, and I, and I think, like I and I, I think it's actually starting to break through because the Jared Kiso episode I've noticed that we uh, have a free preview up online right now. It's starting to build up steam and getting. 500 views, 500 views a day. So I was going to, long story short, get a social media expert in here mm. to help us. For this segment. Yeah. Oh, that's so smart. Anyone who looks at my feed, it sucks. Like, it's just me with my baby. Yeah. Which is fine if you like looking at baby photos, but I'm kind of a funny guy, so I don't really curate it to my sensibilities. So I was going to have a social media expert tell me how to work hashtags. You think it's like a f- bullshit job, social media expert, though? No, That's it's an interesting it, question, though. It's an art form, I'm telling you. But yeah, but Sometimes also for you a need bit. an outside perspective. Sure, sure, sure. And do, you I, we could, do you think we could hire someone to basically do the work of growing numbers? Because we can yeah. really get together to do the thing that we want to do, which is just this shit. I know. Mm-hmm. And the other stuff, to me, is ancillary, but I understand that that's... You know, you talk to like any sort of YouTube creator or band person that's doing really well. They'll say, like, Mick Jagger's a marketer. He understands the sort of game, and I think he gets just as much out of it as, say, making a great song. But he's probably way too busy to help us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm here to talk to you guys. This other ancillary stuff, I'm wondering if there's somebody that we could maybe hire to do it. I don't know. Like, I mean, I think, I think WebBD does an amazing job, obviously, with twitter and all that stuff but it takes like a real like i don't know fuck you tweet and instagram constantly max yeah and I, I, if i had more time in my day i'd spend more time with the pod but i find i get burned out on the arkell's instagram mm-hmm. just it's so hard not to yeah yeah because so i yeah yeah so uh basically i had that as a dessert planned i was also adamo not to throw him under the bus but I I was going to chastise him live on air for dropping the ball on something. Oh, so that was another plan. Oh, uh, so is he working for you? Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, listeners he will remember me out with the digital dessert. Listeners will remember Adamo from a couple episodes ago where Shane auditioned him as a writer for digital desserts, and today you actually recorded digital dessert. Yeah, with Mariana's trench. Yeah, it was hilarious. And uh, <laughs> I had another dessert idea where. Um, I, it was actually a guy at your show, I believe his name's Oh, Dude. Tim. 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 Uh, Tom Ballroom. So he had come up to me and told me a story of the time we partied oh, yeah. in Buffalo. And I was like, geez, you're telling this story so great. I should have a guest dessert where someone else tells a story. And it's kind of like a retro dessert. Mm-hmm. But of course, all of these plans... I couldn't throw together last minute. Usually I have at least a day sure, 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 to sure. get them together. But getting you in a room is very difficult, which is... Hence the celebration and why I'm a little <laughs> drunk right now. So maybe I've cobbled together a dessert just explaining why I don't have a dessert. It's a little shorter. I'm, you know. The episode's already going to be long. Yeah. I got to tell you, the opening is going to be about 40. Scott Porchetta talked for a good 35, 40. Yeah. Maybe people are just like, end it, Shane. You, know? <laughs> you mean the dessert. <laughs> you will wake up tomorrow. <laughs> Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Beerman. See you next week if we don't die. Um.